0: Now, <laughs> I've been enjoying uh, these many speeches. Thank you, JD. Uh, and uh, when I ended uh, last time, I said you were gonna have time for questions. So I'm, gonna, I'm going to do that. I'm going to start off to see if any of you have questions or comments from anything that I've said or any of the other speakers have said. This is a time to begin collecting up some of that. We'll do that tomorrow as well. And I want to make sure you have time to do this. When I became a doctor of the church, and I mean that uh, in the proper sense of the Church, this is the Church Catholic and in, in all places and in all situations, I take an oath to answer every question and uh, field every comment that could possibly come my way. And this is a good chance to actually use that if you want to do it. Uh, and uh, I will, uh, I'll spend time with this, and we can get to all the things that I wanted to talk about through these kinds of questions and answers. I assure you because I've already heard a number of things from you folks. If you're not quite ready and you want to be warmed up, then it will not surprise you that I can talk (laughs) at length Uh, and uh, we'll go a little bit further. But I actually want to give you a little bit of uh, time here to start making some comments, asking some questions right off the bat to make sure we get those in uh, and then we can go from there. Do any of you have such comments, questions, observations you want to make, please? Uh, the question for those of you who couldn't hear is: What about this our, our American uh, church situation now? And are we at a point uh, where this, uh, where we, uh, we we really do have a kind of, uh, uh, of, of a living moment uh, in which uh, we have an opportunity to speak uh, about this matter of how to deliver the gospel, when, where, and so on? Uh, Or is this uh, actually a fading glory, uh, a difficult moment? The church is always on the verge of collapse. You really have to know this. The church is always on the verge of collapse, and the ones who are in the thick of it, whether you are a priest in the church or whether you are a... uh, a person who is dedicated to the church, who wants to see it grow, it is very difficult for you in the midst of this church because you see what the church actually looks like in every time and place. It's losing its ground. It seems to be going over the edge quickly. It seems as if there that it's going to be gone very shortly. Uh, And this has always been the case. It will always be the case. We have a promise that the church will continue forever, that is, as long as this world continues, even though we feel it is going to uh, collapse at any moment. And I want you to remember, because I repeat this all the time, what God did with Elijah. One day God woke up, or Elijah woke up, And he said, am I the only one left? This is Elijah. This is the state of the church. And what did God do with Elijah? He said, all right, I'll show you. He pulled Elijah out. He made Elijah sit down out uh, out in the desert and uh, be fed by buzzards, black birds, crows. uh, And uh, uh, nevertheless, uh, God said, I have many who are spreading this word that you don't know about. I provide everything for you, and if I can do this through the crows, the black crows out here, and provide your good, I will provide for the church in every time and place. That means that we are in the moment of great opportunity, but tomorrow looks like a disaster, Uh, and we get used to this sort of thing. Now, the main way that the gospel is unleashed at any point in time, just as it was told to Elijah is not because there are many many prophets who are producing many many books and Christendom looks like it's really doing well uh, and it's a, uh, it's exciting and there are of course this is what we all want young people in church there are never young people in church this has never been the case but now you actually have to know what to do in these circumstances You don't just sit around in your church saying, well, how can we attract them? Uh, This is is the way uh, Charles Finney did it. You remember this happened in the Presbyterian church, 19th century. And Charles Finney now in his lectures on revival said, here's the answer. There are no young people coming into the church. So you know what you do? They're out there in secular society. They don't want to come in. So you go out and you find out what is there in secular society, what they are so attracted to, and you start with the music. That's where it all starts. And you find out what music they like, and then you go into your church and you create an equal and equal and greater uh, desire for this kind of music in the church. So, J.D. says, it's kind of funny to talk about Christian music. This is the old Finney uh, way of trying to bring people in. They are, uh, th- there are desires all out there in the world. Young people are full of desires, that's what young means. Uh, to be old like myself, you, 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 you start losing your parts, your, your body starts <laughs> falling off, uh, your, your desires are no longer there, and so on, that's what it means to be old. Those of you who are young are just bursting with all sorts of, uh, of, of gooey stuff, uh, desires that's out there uh, that, that are out there. You want this and that, and oh, this would be so wonderful. I love this music. It moves me and so on and so forth. Charles Finney says, "Now you take that from the outside, you bring it into the church, and you make that desire even greater in the church than outside. And therefore you create a competition with the secular world that's not the gospel and it actually doesn't work over time there are little signs that seem to indicate that maybe it worked over here or maybe it will work over there or whatever it might be but here is the way the gospel is actually unleashed it's unleashed in the act of giving a promise from Christ that cannot be uh, duplicated in any circumstance or place and the secular world does not have it. You don't go in and copy what the secular world is doing. You go out into it and you actually give it where it needs to be given. Now, young people don't like institutions. They never have. They do not like what normally conserves society. That is uh, good liturgies. They don't like this. Uh, and they find all sorts of uh, problems with it. There isn't freedom in this in one way or another. But what actually happens is that you will begin to train people not only to hear the gospel, but actually turn over and Give it. And uh, since you, as the priest, cannot be in all places at all times, you have to depend upon people in the family becoming the bishop and bishopess. By the way, this is what I understand you are actually teaching us in the matter of marriage. In the home, the bishop and bishopess now are actually finding the ways to convey the gospel in the time and place in which it must be given, starting with the family and then moving out. From the family to others, and of course, uh, to actually preach the gospel in your family is the most onerous task you can possibly imagine. It looks completely impossible, because the mother and the father, before they are preachers, have to be Moses to the kids. Uh, they, have to, uh, they have to hand down the law. That's what Mama Bear is. So Mama Bear now, uh, wherever she goes, is Moses, and the child knows it. And believe me, it doesn't take a child very long to realize that you don't want to cuddle up with Moses at night. It doesn't work that particular way. Uh, but the mom has to do this. This is the way this comes out. However, even in the midst of it, there are actually ways that you can bestow and give the gospel and actually be the, uh, the instrument of Christ not only the instrument of Moses to your children and if it can't be you then the primary activity in the family does not come from mother and father but it comes from grandmother and grandfather most especially grandmother the main way that the faith is actually handed down from one to another in a family is through the grandmother and the grandmother is almost always the one through whom this faith has has uh, been preserved within the family why is that? because the mother has to say no The father has to say no. And what does grandmother say? Yes. Uh, And now she becomes the conduit, of course, of what we actually mean by the gospel. And the grandchild is actually able to hear it in this case. Now what we're doing in part is educating you about what words to use and how to apply them and what circumstances uh, there are in which you can actually give these. But the first thing we have to tell you is the power of this word that we're talking about, which actually accomplishes and does, it, does what it says. And though it looks weak in the world, Finney thought it was way too weak, it is the strength of God himself, and by it, the church is preserved. So in every case, we think our family is falling apart, and we think the church is falling apart. Nevertheless, though weak, The word actually continues and is heard, uh, and surprisingly, it will be heard in places and situations that we did not expect. So the main way the church is actually created and made is by those who come in to hear this word, receive this forgiveness, and then learn how to go out and actually bestow it. And they're bestowing it in more ways than we ever thought or knew that's what Elijah was taught and that's what we're taught in this circumstance so it should not surprise you those of you who are running your institutions of church that it looks like next week the church is over and done with it's it's gone the whole thing looks like it's going to be gone and every new generation that comes in looks like they are going to be an impossible generation to get to but of course The gospel is always impossible. It is not a possibility. It is impossible. And when you actually bestow and give it, you are not giving them a possibility which they can then uh, uh, make into an act. You are actually giving them an impossibility, a necessity, a gift that is not of their own making or own doing. And uh, my goodness, it actually bears fruit. So this is a big issue, we all face it, and uh, one of the main anxieties we have in life is that our family will not continue and our church will not continue. But I have good news for you, it will, and it will be done in a way that you did not quite expect. This word uh, now works in a very wondrous way. Good. Comments, others? Yes, please. Yes, I can help you with that. The, word, the question was, how about witnessing? Can you help us with this matter of witnessing? And especially with what we mean by uh, witnessing to a person in the family, a friend, uh, or whatever it might be. First of all, I want to take up that word witness just a little bit. Witness is a good biblical word. It's especially the word that you find in the book of Acts, where you are constantly hearing about what it means to actually uh, have a witness It is a legal term, and those of you who are lawyers, especially those who are uh, trial lawyers, know this. Uh, When you are talking about a witness, you are saying, can I have a witness now? Uh, And this is not just a good old Baptist preacher who has gotten to the moment where he's tired of talking himself and he wants to hear from uh, from the congregation. Can I have a witness? It actually means Can I have somebody who is going to stand up and defend me against the accusation that's being made of me? That's what a witness is. Can I get a witness? The witness is can I get somebody who is going to stand up on my side and actually defend me in the midst of accusation? I mean, the greatest example of this, of course, is the Kavanaugh hearings that we've just gone through. Can I get a witness? Uh, and in this case now we want to take up this matter of what it means to be a witness. Can I get a witness? Now here we want to notice how scripture actually uses this. The witness now uh, that Acts is talking about is not just the person that comes in and tells his or her own story of the journey that they have taken in order to come to faith itself. That particular thing is important, but it's not quite the gospel itself. Why is that? Because if I stand in front of other people and I tell them the very interesting story about the twists and turns in my own life that have led me to this point, and then I turn around and say, I just want you to hear what has happened to me, what am I hoping will actually occur? that the person hearing this will say well maybe something like that could actually happen to me too. In other words I've now presented uh, the witness of my own life uh, as an example for them. Now what's the problem with an example? There's a good thing about an example. We all need examples in life. We need good examples in life. But when it comes to the gospel there's a limit regarding the example. What's the problem? I have now presented an example to you. Now what has to happen at this point? You have to follow it. You have to go in my steps in some way or another. And in this way, I I will be presenting Christ and myself as an example for you. Now, this goes way back to Augustine. Augustine says there are two main ways that we take Jesus Christ. One is by way of example. And, of course, we're going to present Christ as the example. Uh, We can present our own life as the example. But in both cases, an example now has to be reproduced by the person hearing about it. And that's why even Augustine said that's the smallest part of what we mean regarding Jesus Christ. Well, what's the big part then? Augustine says the big part is not example. The big part is sacrament. Christ as sacrament. Now here's where we get a different understanding of what witness is. Witness now will not only say to the other person, this is my experience, because when I do it, then the other person will say, well, that's very interesting, that's your experience, but it just so happens not to be my experience. And then you start to actually compare experiences. And this thing doesn't actually go terribly far in this circumstance. Uh, And, of course, this is always the way this goes, especially with young people, because they get tired of mom and dad telling them about mom and dad's experiences. They've heard all the stories. They've heard it many, many times. Same thing with their uncles. I go to my nieces and nephews and they, I, they just moan when I start to open up. Well, let me tell you about the time. Oh boy, there's Uncle Steve again. Uh, and, uh, uh, and of course, uh, the, this manner of uh, presenting the example actually starts separating you from the one that you're talking to. What's sacrament? What was... What was Augustine getting at regarding sacrament? Here he says the big part of Jesus Christ is not providing an example for you but actually giving something to you. Now here's the difference between being a witness now uh, for Christ and an actual bestower of Christ. One points at Christ lying somewhere else. This is what Christ was like in my life. The other one now bestows and gives Christ in this moment and time. And it actually takes uh, courage. Um, Paul calls it boldness. Uh, You have to be a mensch here. uh, And actually now say, I have something to say to you directly from Jesus Christ. And that is a promise. I have just heard about your life actually this is where witness comes in you let the other person in the family or your friend tell you their story you let them give you their witness and you let them tell you where they are this is called a confession and the confession always comes out in the same way I desperately want to tell somebody the most important things about my life but nobody wants to listen so if you first sit and listen that's the first thing you let them speak to you about what their concerns are and they will come up with one form or another of a burden or anxiety there is a burden that they are carrying and they want you to know what it is then at that moment you say now do I give them an example to follow Or do I go into my pocket, take the keys to the kingdom of heaven, pull them out, and actually open up their prison door by saying specifically what Christ wants to say to them? And I do this with courage to say, I can hardly believe I'm saying this now, but I'm actually going to speak to you in the voice of Christ himself. Your burden is heavy. Christ's burden is light. Take his burden, and he will take your burden. This is what we call the forgiveness of sins, which otherwise is not out in secular society. There are ways that they will talk about forgiving and forgetting, but you can't really forgive, and you can't really forget without destroying the fabric of society and the law itself and here's where you're actually going to come and look for the moment when you can, when you will say i hear that you are carrying a great weight i happen to know what christ says about that my yoke is easy now what are we saying when we turn to them and say i forgive you in the name of jesus christ so that you are forgiven not only here and now on this earth, but in heaven forever. I have now opened the door of heaven itself for you. Then, of course, the person will say, is there more that I should be doing? Is there something now uh, that you should be explaining to me? How then shall I live? What kind of Christian life should I produce? Then you say, no, that's all I got. That's it. I mean, I, have, I, 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 I use both barrels. <laughs> I, 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 I shot it out, and uh, that is it. I hear the burden that you're bearing, and I know one who can take the burden. There is no one else who will do this. Even I won't take your burden. But I know the one who actually has. Now, of course, at this point, there are all kinds of openings for you to say... How is it that you actually have the authority to forgive this sin? How is it that Jesus Christ actually was able to make this happen and to make it happen only through speaking this word? I mean, how can he actually do this? And there, of course, we have to come back to the matter of what he does on the cross. There you can actually lay out for people the difference between being uh, on a track of glory or actually now being on Christ's track which is not the glory but the cross Uh, and uh, how he actually comes to a person uh, to give them a new life a, a, a a, a new freedom which actually will work for them now the main problem that you'll have in this circumstance is to say I don't know for sure if I have the authority to do this and it seems like it's too small or petty, or it doesn't fill in enough, or it doesn't do enough. It feels like I should be doing a little bit more psychiatry. Maybe I should give them a little bit of Freud. Uh, maybe I should uh, give them some guidance and direction about the next steps in life. After all, that's the main activity of a father or a mother uh, to lay out uh, advice. But in this case, it's not advice. It's actually learning how to give a promise. And when you give the promise, you will give it to a person in the moment of need, at the moment when they need to be freed, and lo and behold, this is where the Spirit likes to come in and give an ear where you thought it was not possible. Now let me give you a little kind of an example of the way this works. I knew a guy who worked in an insurance company, and there were all booths. One after another. Well, they're not called booths. What are they? Little cubicles. cubicles. There we are. <laughs> how freeing. You're, you're little. <laughs> they're all in little cubicles, one after another, in a great big room. And they're all just picking up the phone, uh, answering questions and so on. And then uh, uh, this fellow uh, uh, said, we, I want to know how to witness is the same question. So I said, well, one of the best ways to do this uh, is just to take note uh, for the first time of the other people in the cubicles. And so I said to him, why don't you actually get some cards, and as soon as you hear that somebody in their family has died, write down on the card, um, I know who the resurrection from the dead is, and I'm prepared to give it to you. Write it down on the card, and then send it over to them. Uh, he says, well, that sounds a little strange, but I will try this. So he actually goes out, and he starts sending these little cards uh, out in the mail, and pretty soon he has people coming over to his little cubicle saying, that was a very strange letter you sent, but, <laughs> but uh, it seemed kind of nice. Uh, and I'd actually like to find out what it is that you're saying there, what... What, what, what are you talking about uh, regarding my dead relative? Nobody else cared about this. And there he said, I had a little congregation that would actually uh, gather around the cubicle, and I could actually hand out this to them. Uh, I am the resurrection and the life. You See, and now he's actually able to bestow and give this. In the middle of his business, Uh, And uh, everybody else says, uh, I had no idea that someone would ever take the time to even notice it and secondly have something that they could actually say about my situation other than saying, I'm sorry, I don't know what to say. And uh, this, this launched a whole ministry to be honest with you. Uh, that continues as far as I know to this day. You can't believe how many people can be touched in this kind of circumstance and uh, and way. Comments? Yes. Burbank, yeah, you you are actually uh, asking for my witness here. Uh, regarding the, uh, the, 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 the uh, process for me here, the way that this usually comes up for me uh, because I'm usually talking to my students about Martin Luther is the question about how this happened to Luther. That's usually the way this comes up. But I'll say it this way as well. It happened to me by actually getting a doctor father who turned to me and forgave my sins. This is actually the way this happened. And forgiving sins was not telling me you did something naughty, I'm now going to release you. It was precisely the basic sin that most intellectuals have, that is, you think that the gospel is an idea, and the idea now is given to you by the priest or the preacher, and then what are you supposed to do with an idea? Well, chew on it, think about it, Uh, think about different aspects of it and so on and so forth and uh, here I actually needed to have a uh, weight lifted from me I was under the weight of many theologians uh, that faith is always looking for something more usually understanding so you remember uh, that there is the famous slogan uh, uh, that goes back to the beginning of scholasticism uh, faith constantly seeks understanding. But here, my teacher turned to me and said, I release you from this entirely and forever. Well, this was a, uh, a great relief and a great freedom, and I've never wanted to go back. I've never wanted to go back. This does tell us something about this. These things that we're talking about, specifically the gospel, does not float around in the air as an idea which then you pluck out and decide whether you are going to apply it to yourself or not. Because self-application never works. It actually needs to be applied to you from the outside in the form of a person who actually uses her mouth, opens it up and says the words... And in this way, now, the Holy Spirit makes these words come into your ear, into the conscience, and gives you the faith that you yourself cannot produce. And that actually does mean that there is an office of preaching and a person in the office which is used as an instrument of the Holy Spirit to deliver you unto eternal life. The key thing here is that it does not come from within you. It comes from outside of you. And when JD says, there's Adam, uh, and Adam says, I'm naked, and the question is, uh, who told you uh, you were naked? Well, of course the answer is, Adam said, I told myself I was naked. And how did I know it? Well, I looked down, and suddenly I saw the dangling participle. And then I said to myself, I don't even have underwear. What's going on here? And now he actually has entered into the great problem of turning inward to the self to describe to yourself what it is that you're going to believe, accept, uh, hold on to, etc. And you lose contact with with the verbal external word itself, which is first spoken to Adam and Eve in the garden by God directly. And it was only when the snake came in and said, Did God really say questioning the external word that now Adam looks down upon himself and says, well, I don't know. I have to try to determine this myself. I have to actually figure this out myself. And we actually need to be released from that. The way I usually put it in my books, which is meant to be provocative, but it is true, you are not saved by your own faith in your own faith. You actually need a preacher for this salvation and the preacher will never be yourself there's a reason for it you actually don't believe yourself when you're talking to yourself because you've learned something about yourself over a period of time and that is that you're a liar (laughs) and when you're talking to yourself you're actually lying to yourself that's the way this goes uh... and uh... telling yourself one thing or another, like uh, I don't care what they say, I'm really beautiful, right? I mean, uh, so uh, you're you're telling yourself all of these things. And the basic problem of course for a person is that uh, as she goes on in life, she realizes that everybody around her betrays her, even her closest friends, perhaps even a husband. And then she says to herself one day, the only one that I can really trust in life is myself. Then she realizes that she doesn't really even trust herself and when she's talking to herself she's not saying things that are trustworthy in fact if you uh, go home and try this you start talking to yourself and you see what you actually say to yourself and what you actually say to yourself is not very pleasant it always comes out in the form of an accusation That means every time I've given a sermon or every time I give a a talk, immediately the devil whispers something in my ear and the first thing I say is, oh, I forgot that or this wasn't done or I didn't do that or somebody did it better or whatever it might be. And then immediately the attacks begin to come in the form of talking to yourself. And you uh, people who are expert in talking to yourself are the ones now who especially live this intellectual life that is especially adept at learning how to self-medicate, how to talk to yourself, speak to yourself over and over again. Uh, It is actually one of the great traits of intellect, but it is also a great weight to carry on. Uh, And uh, to constantly be reflecting back, talking about yourself, becomes itself the great weight and the great anxiety. So the anxiety comes from the weight and the uh, weight comes from finally saying, how am I doing now? Am I feeling the right thing? Have I made the right steps? Am I on the path? Uh, can, have, uh, can I measure my improvement? And so on and so forth oh, I should have done it this way, why did I say that, why didn't I say this, did I do it right, and so on. And once you really get uh, involved with this self-communication, it is impossible to get out of it. It actually has to be broken from the outside. This is where a family member or another has to actually come and bestow and give this. This is also, by the way, why it is that you have a local forgiveness person that is paid to do it, whom we call a priest or a pastor or a minister. And so when you come to a church like this, you come uh, for two reasons. One is that you know uh, that the only way now that you will truly be made holy is if there's somebody who will be there every day of your life to shoot you. That's what the local priest is there for. Uh, You're actually going to go and be uh, taken off your track And you're going to hear from the outside that this is, in fact, not working. This is not, uh, the the law is, in fact, accusing you. And it's not accusing you just a little bit, but all the way. Then the priest turns, uh, 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 takes out the other key of the the, uh, keys to the kingdom. And now says, but I have a gospel to give you now. And you pay him to do this. You pay people to do this so that you can come in at any moment and you can demand it even if they don't want to give it. So this is how you do it. You say, well I'm paying you, give me my absolution now. Uh, and I, uh, well, well, I don't think you really need it. Oh, I need it. Uh, and I just gave it to you last week. Yes, I know, but a week is a long time. Uh, and uh, I need to hear this over and over again. The daily dying and the daily rising. And this is going to come now from a local forgiveness person who is identified in the community to bestow and give this. And that's why you keep coming back to, uh, 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 to your worship on Sunday or other days as well. And uh, why you use the Book of Common Prayer, which is designed precisely for this purpose. You come now and actually receive this sacramental Christ, which otherwise you will not get, in the words bestowed and given to you, and then you give thanks for it. You say amen. Is there anything else I need to do? No. Amen. Uh, 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 Do you have some instructions on the uh, proper life? no I gave that at the beginning of the sermon and you didn't listen anyway now uh, I'm bestowing and giving you this in this circumstance in case and then of course you uh, now now uh, give them the the mass the the dismissal and then uh, they say is there anything else that we need anything else now that you've given us the gospel then the priest says no go home and that of course is what we call the benediction they uh, <laughs> Go out there now and, uh, and go freely in this circumstance. And don't hang around here anymore. Uh, there are a lot of uh, other things that need to be done, all right? And so off you go, Right, So uh, uh, you, need a, you need a preacher. That preacher is not always the local forgiveness person identified with ordination. The Scripture is clear about this. You can read about it in First Peter chapter 2. You are a royal priesthood. This is all of you who have been given the promise of Christ first and finally in baptism. You are a royal priesthood. Well, what does it mean to be a royal priesthood? It is to have been given the forgiveness of sins so that now you are empowered to give it to someone else. Uh, and you don't hide it in your pocket. This is why Jesus uh, is saying you don't put your light under a bushel. It's not uh, you have so many gifts and talents, don't uh, hide them. That's not what this is. Don't keep the office of the keys in your pocket and never use it. But now learn to tune your ear to when somebody is actually saying, I'm in desperate need, and then you say, now is the time. Uh, now I can actually bestow and give this. If you feel like you have to step in a local phone booth and put on uh, a Superman garb before you do it, go ahead. But you can actually bestow and give this right in this circumstance and place. And in fact, this is the way the church actually grows. This is how it actually uh, proceeds in this fashion. Yeah, comment. Examples are important and necessary. Give us one. Yeah, <laughs> Give us one. <laughs> in a church, yeah. And Debbie says he's preaching his sermon. And all these other people really like this guy. He's a new guy. And she says, Well, you can't be a sinner in this church. I can't go there That's what I've heard so much in my life in so many churches. And that's yes. what makes Mockingbird different. Yes. Become, yes. So it's really rare. No, no, yes. I. I what do you tell people? When they say, I can't find a church in my small town, they yeah. Oh, I Yeah. Well, I heard two things there. I thought your example, first of all, was helpful to us just so that you, um, uh, you, un- you, um, you, you understand how difficult it is for people when they are coming to the place where the local forgiveness person should be and they're not actually bestowing and giving it. Uh, And then the second part is, well, what do you do about that, right? So I want to take that first one. You know, uh, there are many situations, too many, in which the identifiable local forgiveness person, the local priest, the local minister, uh, should be bestowing and giving, giving this but does not. And then when you sit there and wait for it, this is one of the reasons why you want to have a liturgy because the liturgy normally demands it from a priest who otherwise will go off and do other sorts of things. So there are whole groups of uh, Christians who say we're non-liturgical, which means I will make up the gospel as I go along. That's what that means. Uh, and here, when, we, when we're understanding how we're functioning liturgically, the liturgy actually normally forces the preacher Uh, perhaps even against his will on a particular day or with particular people, to bestow and give this this, whether they like it or not. This, for example, is why you have typically the Lord's Supper uh, in the the Mass or in the the worship service Uh, because if your sermon is really bad, then you go and get the Gospel and the Lord's Supper. And uh, that's why the priest is actually bestowing and giving it. So the priest can say, well, uh, that was a terrible sermon I just gave you. It has absolutely nothing to do with the gospel. Forget all of that. Uh, and now I'm going to go over in the liturgy and I'm going to bestow the promise uh, in such a way that you will actually receive the forgiveness of sins. After all, that's what the Lord's Supper is for. It is for bad preachers like me. So, you, uh, so then you, you give this. And this is also why it is in specific words. Uh, that are that you don't make up, uh, and you are actually using them because Christ says, "Say these things." It is not you don't have to be a rocket scientist to be a priest. Just say these things, uh, and uh, then you bestow and give it in these circumstances. But oftentimes we will not hear, uh, and will even hear the contrary of this sort of thing. Now. Uh, here I'll give you two little clues. One is that you can often find this in other locations and places that you were not fully aware of before. This is actually one of the reasons why you have such things as Mockingbird. You have uh, things that you can read, things that you can hear, videos you can look at and so on. However, You remember, Paul is right, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the letter always kills, the video always kills, only the Spirit gives life in the form of the actual preaching in the mouth of a person who is standing right in front of you and bestowing and giving this to you. Second thing, you can be in the desert for a long time. It is possible to live on one promise for a very long time. So you have to think of yourself as a camel who puts the promise in his hump and then goes across the uh, Arabian desert uh, and is looking always for an oasis but does not necessarily find one. And that little promise that was given to you at the very beginning will be enough. This is why I like uh, the, the, uh, uh, the beautiful cantata from Bach. Es ist genug. It's enough. It's enough. This will bear you up for a long period of time. And that promise, in fact, will endure and last. I, of course, want uh, what your Lord wants, and that is for you to receive this daily, constantly, over and over again refreshing you, raising you up and making you alive, emboldening you to give this, making you now uh, the uh, free Christian who can return and give his body as a living sacrifice to the neighbor and not worry any longer about the track that they're on, right? So all of those things are true, but you can go a long way without it. And what you're doing now is actually seeking out those places where you can actually hear it. So... Here it is, I can say to you, I lift this burden from you and bestow and give this promise to you right here and now. I forgive you of this sin, which is to a sinner, of course. Now, remember, one of the reasons why churches don't like to do this is that they get the idea that a church is precisely the ones who no longer sin. The group of the holy, so I heard you say this. This is the common mistake that's made, that the church is the group of the holy. And those out in the secular world already think that you think that, which is then the reason they give for not coming to church, because they assume that you're pompous and you're pious and you think that you're better than everybody out there. But here we understand what it means to actually come and be a church of sinners who have now been released of their sin, this is actually now what we mean by a church. So this is why, of course, uh, I like to greet my friends as sinners and fellow sinners. And, um, and uh, Luther's observation at this point is helpful. If you don't think you're a sinner, then of course you are one. Uh, and, uh, and this precisely is the way that you have to start thinking about who you are and what this uh, church is, what it's for, and so on, right? Right? So it's good, good, helpful. Good, others. Yes, please. yeah you used one of the words you were asking this question how is it then that there are many places that should be giving this but are not giving it and yet they thrive well of course uh here christ prepared us early on for this there are going to be many false prophets and the false prophets will actually succeed generally uh, one the, the, uh, the primary uh, uh, indication of a church or the primary um, uh, 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 sign of a church is, first of all, do they give in their public liturgy the absolution in baptism, the Lord's Supper, public and private absolution, in the sermons and so forth, Then we get right down to the key one regarding the people themselves. How can you tell if you have a church made of real Christians and not fakers? And the answer is they suffer. They bear the cross. That means they don't succeed according to the uh, understanding of this in society. Now, I can say this to you, and I can say it without trying to pull anything back, but, of course, this is very hard to say. Many of you uh, are working on uh, what today is the modern American uh, version of what Finney taught regarding uh, uh, um, uh, how it is that you create an excitement in the church, and that is to create a mission statement. Now, the mission statement itself is not wrong. There's nothing wrong with it but of course the mission statement is always couched in the form of some form of success imagine if you actually said let's sit down and make our mission statement and it says come and suffer with us <laughs> well you say, well no wonder this is a disaster and nobody <laughs> that was the worst idea what would you use for a logo for something like that i mean uh, how, how would that what would that look like in society and here, of course, we remember that the cross never is success according to society's measurement. It is not. In fact, not only is it not success, it looks like the exact opposite of success. That's why uh, Jesus does say to his disciples, unless you pick up your cross and follow me, that, uh, that means this word will accomplish what I set it out to do, but it, it, will, it will cause you to suffer Uh, And uh, in the suffering, it will look like there's nowhere to go, you haven't accomplished anything, this hasn't been done. When I was a a college student, I started at the University of Minnesota. And I had a roommate uh, who was a physicist. And uh, when he learned that I had flunked physics and I was now thinking about being a pastor, (laughs) uh, he said to me, Uh, I would never have thought you were the kind of person. But I guess there's money in that if you get your own television show. Uh, But it's never worked out that way. I mean, I I still don't know why I don't have a television show. It would seem to me uh, that I could do this, and we could actually produce a lot that would come out of this. But the answer is no, it does not come in this particular way. And so you mentioned prosperity gospel, and we know that, uh, that... that uh, prosperity gospel, of course, gives you a false promise which is not the lifting of your weight on account of Christ's crucifixion. That's not what it is. And therefore, they are providing a promise that they have no authority to give, that does not come from Jesus Christ to them and has nothing to do with the cross. And therefore, uh, whatever success it may have, it will not succeed in heaven itself. So, of course, finally we can say, um, though we bear the cross now and we suffer now, we have eternal life with Christ in heaven. And there, we will not be running around uh, like Martha with anxiety. We will be sitting at the feet of Jesus day in and day out doing nothing other than drinking in what he is saying. And we're going to say, just like little children, my grandchildren say this to me, Read it again, Poppy. Say it again. This is what it means to get the gospel. You hear it over and over again. It's very simple, but you want it repeated it over and over again. And if ever I do this with my grandchildren and I try to change uh, llama, llama, red pajama, uh, and I try to change the words because I'm bored with them and I want to do something else, what do they say to me? No, do it right. You, you have to say the words. They know every single word. So there you're going to be sitting at the uh, feet of Jesus. Llama, llama, red pajama. Uh, 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 here, is my, here is my yoke and weight. It is so light for you. And then we're going to say, say it again. Just keep saying that. Give that same thing to me. Don't change a word. I love the liturgy. This is, you know, you're going to have the Book of Common Prayer in heaven forever. You'll love this. And in fact, no one will ever be able to change it. How do you like that? Yeah. Uh, and uh, no, you'll never, uh, you know, uh, nobody says, oh, I've got an improvement, and then the oh. uh, whole thing's going downhill. Uh, no, it's not going to come out that way. Right? Good. Other comments. How are we doing? We've got time, I guess. How long do we go? 630? Yeah, well, uh, one more, how about one more, we'll do, yeah. Got a no, no, your question is the best. Uh, I just know it. Come, come. In the book of Benedict option, the, the author said that Christians really ought to be looking at withdrawing to some extent from the culture, Yeah. which I think if carried to extremes would defeat the purpose of the church. Yes. So give us a rule on what we should do with that. Yeah. We know that we have two kinds of pieces of advice, and we also know that advice is legal. It's it's the law. One advice is that you don't withdraw, but you enter in, because how else uh, will salt have its saltiness? If it isn't actually providing what the society needs and otherwise cannot produce itself, that's one bit of advice. The other piece of advice is pull away, draw away uh, from that which now is uh, going to destroy you. And you actually have both bits of advice. You have the same advice when Jesus tells his disciples, if they do not receive and accept you, then brush the, the, the dust off your sandals, and then you move on. Just remember that both of these, as the form of advice, are forms of law that we try to use in the best way that we can to understand what our calling is at this moment and at this time. But there are some offices that God will not let you brush the dust from your feet off uh, and walk away. Those offices primarily are the chief offices of marriage and the, uh, the office of mother and father in which you cannot easily walk away. Um, There are people, of course, who do this and they try this, but what God does is just call in other fathers and mothers to take their place. But uh, there are offices in which uh, we cannot do this. When you are talking about your royal priesthood and your your, uh, ability and your calling, to actually give this absolution or forgiveness lifting the weight from those who are weighted down in our lives in on our families that Christ never removes from us but Uh, Those of you who are ordained and in a particular location and place will recognize that there is a time and place to be here and then there is a time to leave and go over here. And uh, Paul himself talks about this many times, about why he's going here and not over here. And he is making the best kind of judgment in this circumstance. But here we actually have a great promise. The law tells us something that's really true and that you have to tell your own children. Out in the world... You tend to be shaped by that world rather than shape it, and therefore, in the world, one bad apple will spoil the whole bunch. Now, what am I saying to my kids when I when I tell them this? Do not become one more form of this outside society, and be careful of who you are uh, gathering around. Be careful about who your friends are, because they will tend to pull you down rather than the opposite way. That's, of course, the danger of what happens with evil in, the, in society. And in a case like that, you are actually telling your children, withdraw yourself from this. Do not be a part of this particular group. And they must actually learn that. But now, when we are talking about our office of preaching and proclamation, we can think in another way. God in Christ has given us a great freedom, a freedom that does not make us worried about what the outside society will do for us as long as we remember that we live by a promise and the reason that we're out there is to bestow and give this same promise. As long as we have this freedom... Then you can enter into what otherwise is a mess of the world and make sure that the salt does not lose its saltiness. Here it is that you'll actually bestow and give something in the middle of a very uh, troubled, very difficult uh, world which otherwise would tend to overwhelm you and the reason it doesn't overwhelm you is not because of your moral superiority but because you have been freed outside of yourself by a promise in christ and now you present your life as a living sacrifice but this now is a very specialized call and it's very different now than the one that i tell my uh, my own kids and grandkids about uh... be careful about your friends be careful about a society that seeks to say this but they're lying to you. Uh, Watch out for this and that. All of these things are the matter of the the law, and you will tell them this. But in the matter of the gospel, you have a great freedom, and you can enter into circumstances and situations that would frighten anyone else, as if you would go into the leper colony and get leprosy yourself. This is why Christ was not afraid of the leper colony. And he went into the leper colony because he he knew he had a greater freedom and was not going to be sucked back back into this old world and old life. You have that freedom as well. Well, that's enough for tonight, don't you think? Uh, Many thanks.